Welcome to the Amplify podcast. It's John Templeton here with Jordan Fitzgerald, aka Fitzy. Jordan is the founder of Warfighter Athletic and an ex New Zealand Special Forces commando. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks, brother. Stoked to be here. Cool. I might call, I'll call you Fitzy, I think, as we go, but everyone can just, his whole name is Jordan Fitzgerald. <laughs> so, so, Jordan. Um, let's, I really want to get to know more about your time in the special forces. That really intrigues me. And I know mm. there are obviously some things we, we, we cannot talk about, but I think for everyone listening that what, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you get into the special forces? And it's, it's for such an elite bunch. Like, how are you different? What, what goes on in between your ears that is just different to the general public? So start from the start of like when did you decide you wanted to go to the special forces yeah um it's, it was actually re- like extremely early before i'd even joined the army um we just went through the recruiting process and i was about a week from shipping out uh to basic training so that's when we ship off to as you'll know uh, but for your listeners we go out to Waiuru, we start basic training mm-hmm. um, converting from civilian through to soldier and it was in that week there the final week before shipping out the documentary First Among Equals, uh, yes. the NZSAS documentary dropped. And me, as a 17-year-old boy, I would just watch that documentary and I was like, wow, that is the pinnacle. Like, that's where I want to go. Um, but then, as you know, like, you join basic training and then you realise it's actually hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and then you go through a little bit of suffering. Um, but the seed was always there. And, you know, if there were like-minded guys throughout my time, um, we would always talk about it. The conversation would come up about doing selection, mm-hmm. but just, just like in, in any part of life and there's always doubters uh, mm-hmm. and there's always, I guess the, the, the term haters. And so, you know, there's a lot of senior guys around at the time where when, when I first got in, you, you wouldn't do selection real, real young. Um, mm-hmm. but that's kind of changing a little bit. And so you kind of are put off a little bit from doing it straight off the bat because you get told that you need to have done X, Y, Z and have this rank and this experience. And so, Mm-hmm. Um, but I was pretty lucky. Went off to just just bearing in mind that's from all the people that have failed themselves and <laughs> exactly yeah yeah, yeah. And, and are still dark on it. If they can't do it, then neither can you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so went off to uh, went off to Afghanistan, um, and even there as as a soldier, just as a regular as a grunt, yeah, yeah, yep. So regular in the regular infantry with one battalion went off and had a fantastic time. Like I. Mm-hmm may sound weird to some people, but I loved my time in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Actually a really almost pure and simple way of living. Mm-hmm. Um, and you actually are there to help people. So mm-hmm. that was fulfilling my, um, one of my things of why I joined the army, which was to have an impact. Mm-hmm. So anyway, when, yeah, in Afghanistan, I uh, was coming home. What year, can I ask what year you were in Afghan? Yep, it was not, the end of 09, so October 2009 through to sometime 2010. And how long were you in the army for before you went to Afghan? Only about two years. So we're pretty lucky. Yeah, that's, that's solid, man. Well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know these guys have got years without that's, that, you know, getting a trip like that. So I was definitely fortunate. Um, but came back and was still kind of wanting more. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, like it, you, it wasn't that time where you could come back from Afghan and go, oh, I'm going to go do selection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so wasn't confident enough, I guess, in myself. But anyway, went off to join the British Army. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, that took nine months. And then after, I believe, about two months in Paradepot, so the parachute regiment, mm-hmm. um, man, they're, they're a crazy fit bunch. And the, the bee stings we got there were like nothing I'd experienced in my life. But uh, it's a, that's, an, that's another whole story. <laughs> but dislocated my sh- shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was kind of during that period there was like where I really started to cement the idea. I spoke to a guy who used to be in one battalion, but was now in three para. Who's uh, that? William Thompson? Uh, uh, Tomo was one of them, yeah. yeah. And John O'Cantwell. Was oh, the yeah, other. I know both of them. Yeah, yeah cool. I, I thought you would. Yeah. <laughs> I spoke to those guys, and, and they weren't rotating back through Afghanistan. Um, so as well as obviously wanting to come home, I did also have the realisation while I was there was like, for me, the, the British soldiers, they were extremely fit. Um but there's still some really big cultural culture and like value differences between mm-hmm. between us, even though we're very similar. There's still those. Like what? Um, I, I just I just found even towards if I, if I was to like tip it out, like even their like sexual their sexuality, 
Yeah. You know, like it, 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 it does lead like, and I don't, I don't, yeah. Let's dive into this. This is interesting. And the people listening yeah. will be interested. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, well, this is the thing, right? I don't, I honestly don't, I don't care. Like my mum, this is being really like transparent. Um, yeah. This is one of my, my, one of my values is be like authentic, authentic. Mm-hmm. To you. Like my mum, she's a lesbian. She has woman, a uh, woman partner. Yeah. So I really don't give a fuck like who yeah. you're with in your spare time. But like the Brits would, like shower time, right? We're yeah. getting ready for shower at the end of the day. We've just all been thrashed to fucking death. And the lads like form a fucking iron circle and start ripping the head off it to see who can come the fastest. Jesus. And then they're like throwing cum around and whatnot. And I'm like, <laughs> like, I literally come out of the shower and be like, I fucking swear to God, if anyone comes near me, <laughs> they shit at me. Like, I, I will cook, mate. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's that's yeah, that's next level. I've heard some a lot of stories about the British on operations as well. Just yeah. always having a laugh, always mm. having a laugh. Um, mm. From you know pissing in other people's boots, you know. So when you wake up and put your boots on, it's just got urine all inside it. Yeah, all sorts of stories. Yeah, wow. Yeah, they're they're definitely a different breed. <laughs> um, I mean, and I, I really did. I was super impressed with their fitness, especially mm-hmm. for the parachute regiment. They do do have a high standard. Mm-hmm. Like, Everyone is running like sub nine 2.4s. Uh, it's just fucking super competitive. So I was really impressed by the whole fitness side. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in terms of the thinking side for the, for the guys I was with, you got to remember these are civilians and I've just come back from a rotation in Afghanistan. So I've matured greatly. I was only, I think, 20, 20 21 at the time, but I had matured so fast from my time in Afghanistan. And to be back in with 17 and 18 year olds, who are like, like, I'm just there to get through this training package to get back down range. Yeah. To go do what fucking soldiers do. So what and were you do? What were you doing in the UK with, with the Paris? This, this, this is literally trying to join the Paris. Yeah, yeah, but but why? Because they had potentially more operations coming up. That was it. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Yeah, so yeah, okay. the reason I yeah, joined the Paris was one, they had a reputation for getting in scraps. Yeah. Like if, if they're going to go somewhere and there's going to be a scrap, like they're going to send the Paris. Yeah. Um, and two, they had higher entry level standards. So that yep. obviously appealed to me um, yep. with that whole selection. And I heard it was a really good stepping stone for 2 2 SAS. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the, it ticked a whole bunch of boxes why I, I, want, I picked the Paris. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, during that time, I dislocated my shoulder. Um, and then, even for the period that I was there, the, the screws were pretty good. Like the corporals were really good. And they kind of understood that it was a really sucky situation. Like I just rotated out like nine months ago out of Afghanistan. And then now I'm there getting told how, how to soldier. Yeah. Um, so they appreciated that. And my section commander, he pretty much had a promotion course running at the same time. He's meant to be a uh, screw on this um, basic training intake. So I was essentially running my, running my section. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, it just became like babysitting. Mm-hmm. You know, like, fuck, I just want to work with professionals. Mm-hmm. Like this, this shit is doing my fucking head in. Like I started mm-hmm. speaking to some of them like children. Mm-hmm. It was just like, and like one of them every night I would reteach him something I taught him the night before. The same thing. Like this is how you polish your boots. This is how you iron your uniform. Yeah. And for like the the, the twentieth time, I'm like, man, I don't know if this is for you. And so yeah, how did when when did you go? Well, I'm going back home, and I'm um. So yeah, after I dislocated my shoulder, got on the on the blower to to Cantwell. Um, and then he's like, we just did our last rotation to Afghanistan. And I'm like, cool, I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, but I came home and I did try, I was going to do the whole civilian thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did come home thinking about selection, but I was going to do the whole civilian thing. Um, and then I went to become a personal trainer at City Fitness. And they put me on this trial period. Um, the guy was really awesome, man. Um, he took me in. He said, yeah, man, you can run it. And for a week, at the end of that week, I didn't even last a week. I was because like, I guarantee I'm going to guess that it's because you were dealing with again people that just would, did not have high standards. Yes, again, again <laughs> like, you will appreciate right as a PDI. Like when you were a PDI, if you said something, we did it at like a hundred miles an hour, and if we didn't, man, did we pay for it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I I would hear people complaining like, you know, the old three sets, ten reps, and like ten reps complaining about ten reps, and I was like are you here to get results? Like, are you actually here to grow and to get better? Like, Bro, the military does something special to people. I'm telling you, the people I coach now that are in my programs, the military people are excelling, okay? And it's like, it's like drive, discipline, focus. It's, it's, I, I, I sometimes I'm like, 
we take it for granted or, or potentially we take it for granted. I don't anymore. Mm. Just, ha- just how incredible military training is once, you know, you know, or the platform that they've created for us to succeed within it's on civvy street. It's like, we are, we are, we've got skills that no one else has. And I've seen that time and time again. Yeah. I've heard Jocko speak about it as well. Um, and that's kind of one of my new missions for this year. So I'm playing with um, a little bit of content around that. And it's literally exactly, it's explaining guys to that is like, no matter what you think you like, you were just a grunt or you were just this, I'm telling you, if you've been through the military pipeline, you've got a little something else in you and you can go far. You don't have to get out and go backwards. So I'm yep. totally with you on that one. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, so you came back, you city fitness was, <laughs> I can imagine not your thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't my thing. And then pretty much um, the Mrs. Stepdad owns a plumbing company, tapped into the plumbing company, got back in to TF and then just submitted my paperwork straight away for selection. Um, and then I was, yeah, it was, it was a fucking hectic schedule, that whole process there too. It was like zero 500, the, the, the stepdad was an early riser. Assessment or selection? Uh, assessment. So, yeah. oh no, sorry. Oh no, it was, it was selection, mm-hmm. uh, but it was the gated system. Mm-hmm. So it was the old like yeah. one yeah. course. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so you yeah, literally zero 500, would get up, jump in the car with the father-in-law, uh, head into Wellington, work on a plumbing site all day. Again, actually, actually met some really, um, really switched on guys there. You know, the, the plumbers, some of the plumbers that I work with were actually really switched on. But then there were also some of them where like, it wasn't a bad gig. They're like, we'd get in the van and this guy would literally, and this shit was awesome because it would like reinforce my beliefs and like what I was doing. But I'd get in the van and this one guy would be like, morning, Fitzy. Another day in hell. And I was like, Whoa, this is dark. Like, this is not even that bad, man. Like, this is this is all good. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like so that was Imagine that dude's life. Imagine that dude's life. Now? Like now, I'm a little more empathetic at, at this age than I was back then. And I feel sorry for him. Eh? I'm like, man, you Dude. must you must have lost yourself a long time ago. Yeah, man. Yeah, my heart goes out and like but his life will be shit. There's no, like, there's no sugar guy. His life sucks. And I think, you know, there's, there's those people where it's like, there's no bringing those people back. No, it would take something special. Like, I truly believe it's possible for anyone to transform their life from yeah. rock bottom to the highest peak. But it, it, it takes something special. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So you, you, you're doing this gig early mornings and your mind was still like, Special forces every day. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. be here. Yeah. And so something that, 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 uh, that is, is very, uh, very me is I got quite obsessed. And so it was like, no matter what, it's like zero 500 would leave the house almost about 1700, 1730, 1800 would get back. And then it was training time. And that could be anything from, you know, an RFL, uh, a weaving run down the beach. I would do these weird thrash sessions where I'd run into the surf wearing patrol order I'd run into the surf, come back out, like roll myself in sand to get uncomfortable, go run 10 Ks on the beach and then, you know, go home, shower. And that was, or pack on up a hill down. People listening are going to be like, this guy's crazy. And to me, I'm like, fuck yeah, this is what life is for. (laughs) (laughs) And so you, you obviously, you were just, you were just doing that because you knew what you had to go through at selection is is that like you it's really hard to replicate so you just need to make your life as difficult as possible yeah so that you can handle whatever they throw at you yeah and so like there was a bit of like smart and and structured training um but back then still i was kind of like the old young and dumb um and so like i'll you know i've got a mentally i've got to mentally condition myself and so go to like 21k um pack march with next to no food in the system Mm -hmm. to get used to that feeling of needing to move and needing to go and that fuel source just isn't quite there mm-hmm. um and so yeah that was that was a good three months of that and i remember you know like we'd have family dinners on a friday um i'm not sure if the missus remembers but yeah she'd be like oh cool we're going to uh, there's a place down the road called fisherman's table she's like oh the family are going to fisherman's table for dinner and i'm like nah i'm going on to train and then literally like <laughs> get in the car and went off to, we went off to go train but so this is this is a good point to, to point something out to people like a lot of people don't have that value system 
that you know or they don't have the ability to say no i'm going training like this is important to me this is what i value this is my priority is was it like how how did you communicate with your missus was there resistance between you was there tension or was she like you go for it hun no to be fair she's been um she, she's actually in the room now so she's probably gonna love this um no she's actually been really awesome eh? like i even remember being in afghanistan and i'd go away 21 days on a patrol come back and then like i might even spend like a day or whatever i'm just like chilling in front of the gym and whatnot and then jump on the phone and she's like hey how you been what have you been up to Rah-rah. and then i can hear some dude next door and his missus is like blowing him up but yeah, yeah 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 you know like oh i haven't heard from you in so long Rah-rah-rah. but no she was always really good um and then even coming home from afghanistan we actually had this booklet was probably the defense force doesn't do some things really well um and i think the a lot of it was like maybe the PDT and some of the like post psych stuff coming home wasn't that great, but they did have a good little booklet that was about transitioning out of theater because people don't, people forget you're there six or seven months, your, your mindset changes. Dude, archaic. (laughs) Um, And then people don't understand like yesterday you were back in the stone age in Afghanistan and today you're now at home and all these in a very safe environment which and you know you've, you've had a loaded gun on you for six to seven months everywhere you go you've got a gun um i remember so- coming back from timor it yeah. sounds and whenever i was walking down the road because obviously when you're patrolling i was lead scout as well every oh, every like everywhere i walked i was assessing so it was like is that person a threat if something happened now where's some cover for me to duck behind and when i got yeah. home the subconscious was still doing that. And I was like, John, even sometimes probably a year ago, it really stopped when I, when I actually did more personal development work, but I would drive down the road going, okay, if that guy attacked me, he's, you know, he's carrying this. If you know, I would, and that honestly, Mm. and so I can imagine Afghan to another level. Um, So tell, yeah, tell me about how it really affected you coming home. Um, To be, to be fair, I was pretty good. at like, the thing for me over there was like some guys did come back and they had PTSD. And so our biggest threat in Afghan, it wasn't small arms contact, like Southern Afghanistan or even like Timor, where you get in the scrap in the bush. Um, but for us, it was IEDs constantly, constantly, constantly. And we did have intelligence and we had, we did have things happen where it was like my fight or flight response was fucking through the roof, heart beating through my body mouth scenario. Um, but I actually, like, even my brother asked me before I, before I left, he's like, what if you die over there? He's like stressing out. He's like, what if you die over there? What if you get blown up? And I said to him, and I actually meant it, um, and I still feel like I meant it, but I was just literally like, I won't know. Like, I literally won't know. Like, we're driving along, boom, fuck. I won't know. Yes, you will have to deal with the aftermath. But for me, like, I'm vaped, mate. Like, that's index for me. Yeah. Um, and even when I was there, I was never like, like, what, what have I died? What have I get injured? For me, it was my best mate was in the turret in the Hummer and I was driving. And I was always like, if he gets shot, if he drops right now, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Or driving, looking for IEDs and digging in the road because I was the driver. So I was always like you, lead scout. And we were the lead vehicle as well. So I was always just scanning like a motherfucker, looking for digging, looking for digging and then driving along and being like, that's a good mark. They could be up on the high ground with, um, wanting to detonate an RCID, rah, rah. So... When I came home, I was much like you, where I wasn't like a complete mess or anything like that. But as I'm driving along, I would literally look up and see a ridge line and be like, cool, we could get um, smart because the boys did get ambushed before I joined their patrol. Um, uh, and they got hit with small arms and RPGs. And I remembered, yeah, I'd be driving along and I'd look up to the high ground. There's a ridge and I'm like, yeah, cool. We could be ambushed from there. If we're driving along and we got ambushed, would I drive through? Would I spin around? Where's the best way to get out of the kill zone? Well, I remember we, we had a friend in the car and we were driving and I swer- I was swerving a lot um, because there was like manholes and like this, like all these things. And I was like, that could be a marker. And so I was swerving away from things. And she's like, you're a really swervy driver, right? And I was like, I'm still in Afghan mode. Like, I'm still dodging IEDs in the ground. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But I was really open and honest too. Like that same, I think, strength of character where like the missus would be like, hey, you're going to go meet up with some friends down the bar. And I'll just be like, alcohol, crowded place, loud music, loud noises, 
fucking morons. Like, nah, I'm not going to do that. And I'd yeah. say, I'm not going to go. And I'd literally stay home. I would run a bath and I'd grab a book and I'd nice sit in the dude. bath and, you know, and, and just, just keep decompressing. And um, I didn't drink because this booklet was great, man. The missus read it too. So she it said, if, if they need space, give them space. So she'd just be like, cool, not an issue. Um, I didn't drink. I just reestablished a routine, like a healthy routine. Mm -hmm. So I got back into PT and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't touch alcohol for like three, four, maybe even five months once I got home. So yeah. very, very smart, man, and intelligent. I wish that, you know, the methods and the habits you got back into, I wish more people practice that instead of, mm. you know, going on benders and going crazy. That's what yeah. And so, like, we're not even up to... to selection yet so yeah the the day you went to the special forces base i'm just did you assuming papakura is as we went yep. to we, how did that all happen and and tell us what happened yeah so after living the the, the plumbing training lifestyle uh which was um the day finally came right yeah the day finally came um and you just i guess you get to a point and it's just the point of no return. Like selection is here. Selection is now. Um, and we woke up the next morning and to be fair, like we had three to four days of pre-selection. And so you're kind of just mingling mm -hmm. um, and being, I guess everybody's a little nervous and apprehensive. And it's kind of interesting now thinking back the way you, everybody dealt with that nervousness leading into the, to the unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, and my thing is like, I really like talking as it is, but my nervousness, you know, like I was just on overdrive. Like I, I look back now, it was like, man, I was just this motor mouth for like three days, but it was just my nerves. And then come selection day, it's just boom, everything shuts off. And it's just like now is the time. But once we woke up in the morning, we didn't know that we were in for a period that was like the hottest day on record over a decade. And so I remember... We got up early, we had breakfast. So you, you actually get breakfast on this morning. Um, and it's kind of, I, I believe it, it's breakfast of your choosing. So you can, you control the amount you have this morning. But dudes were like throwing up their breakfast and all the rest of it. And thinking, coming, like thinking back, I was nervous, but I wasn't that nervous. Like mm -hmm. some guys I've seen them throwing up and I'm like, man, you need to, you need to tighten, <laughs> you need to tighten <laughs> shit up. Um, but then it kicked off and it just kind of everything as I had planned it. You know, um, the RFL, I didn't run it too hard. I trained really hard. So like running a sub 10 minute RFL was really easy. I think I came in like nine minutes, 50 something, cranked the press ups and all the rest of it and then moved into the BET. But Just for those listening, RFL is a 2.4 kilometer run, max effort push-ups, max effort sit-ups. And that's yes. the basic required fitness level for the army. And then the BET is the battle efficiency test. So walk us through that. So yeah, the battle efficiency test, uh, kicks off, that's packs on, uniform and everything, carrying guns. Um, and eight, it's eight kilometers. But as we kick into that, that's where I started to notice. Um, me and another guy, um, you actually probably know him. I, won't, I don't know if I want to drop his name on here. But Is he we, a nickname? Um, uh, Tua. <laughs> or Ronan. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but anyway, super like an awesome dude. Like me and him, we went out like a fucking bull at a gate. But within, I dare say, a kilometer, even probably at least 600 meters, I turned around and there was like, there was no one. We'd like get there and run and, I, and straight away, I could start to feel the heat. And that's when I was like, we're going way too hard. And then he kind of gapped it. I tried to catch up to him a little bit. And then I was like, nah, he's gone anyway. So we do the eight kilometers, come in, wait for everybody to come in. And then it's uh, the rope climb, the wall, the fireman's carry, the drag. Um, and then by that point, I was thinking, it's fucking hot today. <laughs> and, then, and then we went and did the, the Hounds and Hares. Mm -hmm. So that's the eight kilometer patrol order run over, actually, Up which was hill. more surprising to me, was fucking quite steep terrain. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> As a physical like, trainer, that's I used to take people up there uh, and I would, I would, drive it and be at the checkpoint uh, at the gate if it's still the same hill and it is it yeah. is a steep hill yeah 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 and it seems that it seems to keep going which is <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving um but that there was the first experience where i was like this is fucking real um we got i, I didn't know at the time but we must have got to about seven kilometers so about another kilometer to go i had no idea 
how much further we had to go. Um, and that's for me, I drank all the water in my, um, in my room, and I was with another dude and you're not really allowed to talk or do anything, but I started to get like blurry vision and like the whole prickliness on the back of your neck. I was like, fuck, I think I'm going down with heat, heat exhaustion. And so I just turned to this dude, I was like, bro, I drank my water and I feel weird, man. And he just gave me this bottle of water. He's like, tip it on yourself. So I tipped it on myself. This dude's uh, SAS dude now. Um, I gave him the water bottle back and then we ran off and then unbeknownst to me, the finish line was just around the corner. Um, but yeah, even though I remember that moment came up to the finish and they had these jury cans where you could refill. I literally like, no shame whatsoever. I grabbed this jury can and I was like showering in it. And this instructor was just like, I fucking hell. <laughs> I was cooking, man. So I didn't give a shit. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you wait for everybody to come in. And then we have the swim test in the dam, which is extremely cold. Um, and the PDI had told us the, the morning of before that when we get in after the hounds and hares and everything, we're probably going to cramp up. And I was like, we're going to cramp up. Why would we cramp up? Next to it, I jumped in the water and I was just like, boom, straight away, locked, legs locked up and everything. I'm like, how am I going to swim? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so pumped out, this, pumped out the, the swim test, had to dive down, grab some rocks off the bottom, bring them back up to the top. And that's pretty much day one in the bag. But I remember it was only day one. And I remember the end of day one, it was, I literally sat behind my pack and I was just like, wow, I didn't expect to feel like this. Like I felt fucked. Um, and I don't know if it was just the heat or whether it was uh, doing all of those physical activities and no, no lunch, no food, no nothing in, injected in or, but yeah, I, at the end of that day, I didn't know how I was going to start the next day. Um, I say that to everyone that, cause I, I tell some of my stories um, during my events of this process, uh, because obviously I, I did selection at one point as well, or assessment. And I say day one will remove all of your physical fitness. And then yes, it's like, yeah, then yeah. the rest of the time is like, what have you got left in your heart and your soul? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I made my promise to start every day. So I was at the end, I, that's, that was my one promise to myself. No matter where I get to, I will start every single day. And if I still, after starting, I still don't want to continue and I, I feel like it no longer means anything to me, then cool. But at least I started. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I woke up the next morning and I was so stiff. And, the, and, not, and I guess to give context, before you go to bed, you get you know, your soup and bread. <laughs> and it's like, it's just not even enough to touch the sides after the amount of calories you've put out. So yeah, there's pretty much just like a, a uh, express weight loss journey. <laughs> yeah. And so then the hills phase begins. Um, and that's just three days. Again, it was the, the hottest period on, on, in, on record for over a decade. Mm -hmm. And you'd get your breakfast. And surprisingly enough, like even especially after a couple of days, as your stomach shrinks, um, it, it, breakfast almost becomes enough, even mm -hmm. though it's not really. It mm -hmm. almost feels like enough. Um, but I always found the middle of the day, it would be, I would be dripping with sweat. I would be drinking water like a madman to curve the hunger because the yeah. hunger would just come and grab you. Yeah. And I would just be like, holy fuck, I need to eat. And so I just drink the water to drown the hunger. Yeah. Um, and I, what I couldn't believe was, you know, normally when you, even if you're just a little bit fed, you know, when you're walking uphill, you're just getting after it and you're smashing uphill. Um, but this, every step in the way I was breathing, you know, like labored. I was just walking up this hill and, it, <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is just something else. And then you'd stop and then you'd keep going and you'd stop. What was going through your head? Like, yeah. tell the me about the angel. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about the self-talk because this yes. fucks a lot of people up in life. And so that's why what you were going through is a great test of like, yeah. how well are you going to handle life? Yeah, it is. It really is. Eh? Like, what I do love about this whole experience is like, it's no one but you and your own thoughts. There's no one but you. And you really start to hear yourself. And you really get to know the two sides of you. And so there is that side that is just like, fuck this shit. Like, why am I doing this? This doesn't make sense. Um, my old job was good. I can just go back to battalion. You start this convincing cycle of like, 
why you don't want it, why it doesn't mean anything to you. And this guy that I know that's in the unit, he's a dickhead. And, you know, so then yeah, the other side that fights back is like, I've worked too hard for this. Everyone thinks you're going to quit. People have said you're not going to make it. And so like, I kind of these peaks and troughs of these voices coming in and then fading out. Um, and then I started to learn like little hacks and it would be like, you know, proper soldier etiquette when you're walking, you're carrying a rifle properly. Well, I would start using my rifle as a, as a walking stick on the hills. And like, I knew no one could see me. And I'd just be like, yeah, fuck you. And I'm, like, I'm just, I'm doing things that I would normally never do. And it's like being a sack. And so, but I'm being a sack on purpose because I find it funny. <laughs> yeah, and it lifted your morale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would lift my morale. But it would just be like these massive ups where like, I'm like, oh, fuck, I've got my second win. And then next minute you're just like, fuck my life. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? And then next minute you're like, that is a great metaphor for life because, I yeah. mean, do you still get that now? You know, oh. you're running a successful business now. You have ups and downs, right? A hundred percent. I literally have just come out of a period where I just like, I've had this realization where I'm like, this is fucking hard. Like selection. I'm like, this is fucking hard. And you have to really want it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. hundred <laughs> percent. You know what? I say that, like, I say that business is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. It's harder than Same. any physical tests I've ever done. And you know what? I think a true relationship for a lot of people, like after the honeymoon phase, like for some people that can be really fucking hard. And a lot of people quit too soon. You know what I mean? And mm. I, I just find it's a great philosophy for all of life. Like the good stuff is on the other side of that hard work, that moment you want to quit the reason. And you have all these stories like, wait a minute, you're just about to get to the land of plenty. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. So yeah, even, even in business now, yeah, it's, it's the same roller coaster. But like, like, like you just said, for me, even in business, it's, it's, it's harder than selection, but it's because it's longer. You know what I mean? Like this was five days, like Warfighter were coming up a couple of years now. But yeah, so anyway, going back to selection, this is yeah, three days pretty much of that, of just you literally hit a hill and you're suffering and then like if you're getting downhill the morale might come up but for me i, I took the wrong boots um what boots did you wear I, I wore these 511 boots but they were perfect but my feet swelled right and so i had to go to my spear boots which were my boots might some jungle desert jungle boots that i had from afghanistan mm -hmm. but they had no ankle support and my left ankle lapsed during selection selection so i could just be walking along downhill and the ankle, like no warning, would just go. And then I'd literally be like planting onto my face. And so like that would just becoming emotional. Um, and then we had the last day, the last day of the hills. And I remember sitting there calculating the time. That You're covering I about 20 kilometers a day, right? Up and down hills with a maybe 30, 40 kilo load. Would that be about right? I think, yeah, I think it's definitely closer to 40 maybe even 45 kilos. Um, yeah. I think each selection that kind of changes a little uh -huh. bit. Sometimes it's like, oh, your pack has to weigh this before yep. food or before water or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, yeah, getting to the end of that day and I just had this moment too where I was like, I think I'm behind on time. And I don't even know if I was. Um, the brain's starting to slow down a bit now. I'm like, man, am I behind on time? And then I just convinced myself that I'm behind on time. And if I don't fucking move it, it's over. The dream is over. And so I remember this last phase where it was like, this is for me was like, like, do you want it? And it's like, yes, I fucking do. And I remember I hit the last checkpoint and then there was no more hills. It was just one road, a few kilometers uh, on the flat. Same thing again. I just like, was carrying my rifle by the scope and I was just boosting it. Like I pulled this energy source out of my ass <laughs> and just ran this entire last leg. And along the way, this SAS bloke just pops out of the Porsche and he's like, carry that fucking rifle, bro. <laughs> we were picking up this rifle and just keep going on and got in. And then that night was just fucking, again, you didn't know if you were going to start the next day because they calculate all the times. Yeah. If you didn't make the cutoff and you get pulled off and all the rest of it. So even then, but over those three days, it becomes this thing where you're not really allowed to talk to guys. And so it is, again, it's just this whole internal experience. But then we're there taping each other up, but we're just not really allowed to talk. And like by the end of it, all our back from the packs rubbing packs, backs are just getting like eaten away and then we just got like this wall of freaking uh, mid tape all over our backs all over our feet from all the hot spots and people have horrendous blisters um 
and then you get to the jerry cans or von Temsky, as it's known as and pretty much you just carry jerry cans for 20, 24 hours 24 yeah about 24 hours it's about 24 hours um and so here this is where the commando gate comes in once you get to the Jerry's, you're good to go for the commandos. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be completely transparent, this is, I always go back to self-belief and what you truly believe. And for me, this is like the line in the sand and like all my proof. Before I started that selection course, I just went going for SAS. Mm-hmm. The day it, in my mind during training, I always had the belief. I always had the belief that every single infantryman should be able to hit the commando gate. And it, does, it didn't matter if it was true, you know, like mm-hmm. in the, in the mm-hmm. world of truths, it didn't matter if it was true. I believed it in my heart and my mind that every grunt should be able to make that first commando gate. Um, and so... So just so people understand, the, the commando gate means if you were... So, so the commando unit is more... Um, how would you define commandos as, a, as opposed to the SAS? The commandos is just a straight counterterrorism. There you go. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Let's leave. Let's leave that at that. So the commando gate means that if you were to pull out of selection now, you would still be up to the standard to go on for more training with the commando unit. Yeah, potentially, potentially. So two guys, quite a few guys make that gate, and then based on character, actually some still get cut away. Yeah. Um, yeah. So before we, I remember being on pre-selection. This moment really sticks with me. I remember looking down at the form. And you actually have two boxes about what you want to do. And I looked at it and I took the SAS box and I was like, cool. And I looked at the commando gate and I remember thinking, no, I'm not here for that. And I thought, fuck it. Why not? Just in case I only get to the commando gate. And I ticked it. Um, and then this is where it kind of comes to the point. So up until this point, I, I had thought, like, there'd been minds of like, fuck this, this is hard. But there was never a moment where I'm like, now, like I'm actually going to bounce. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I thought this is shit. This sucks. Why am I doing it? But there was never a thought where I was like, I'm fucking out. Yeah. Um, I just thought like, this sucks. This is shit. Why am I here? This is kind of just, this is selection. This is what it's about. Um, and then I had this feeling actually of, and it probably came too early for me, but I had this feeling like once I hit Von Temsky, I was like, fuck, I'm here. I hit Von Temsky. And I think for me, it was that moment where I had instilled that belief or programmed that belief of like, this is where I can make it. So I got to where I knew I could make it mm-hmm. or where I had at least programmed my brain to believe I can make it. And it was kind of like this relief feeling, um, which thinking back now, I'm gutted that I had it. Of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then, so we did pretty much 12 hours during the day. We literally got put into teams and this dude said next to fucking nothing to us, old school SAS bloke. And he just walked us around the sand dunes and took us to the wall, which is out in, in Kaipara Harbour. Mm-hmm. And we literally just up and down this fucking wall of death and, so jerry cans because the jerry cans are well known for just breaking breaking everyone pretty much yeah and i can see why 20 to 24 hours of walking through sand is hard enough as it is you're in full um patrol order pack as well fsmo yep yeah fsmo so so 40 kilo pack rifle all your webbing so so it's all there 40 45 kilos and Mm. two 20 kilo jerry cans yeah and you're walking up steep as hell, sand. List people that are listening, sand hills. It's literally like that. Like if you reach out, you are touching the, the wall. The wall. That's why it's called the wall. And you're already smashed. I mean, day one, you had cramping legs and could barely move. And you've done three more days of doing about a half marathon every day with a full gear in some of the hottest weather. Now you're, this is, this is like, this is insanity. Most people just couldn't comprehend the physical condition you're in on very, very limited food and sleep. And you'd been going, so you've been going for 12 hours, which mm. is in itself madness. So, so carry on, dude, this is insane. Yeah. So literally we, we just before we hit the 12 hour mark, this is where like, in my mind, I, I was told at the Jerry Cans dinner. So you, you hit the Jerry's for 12 hours then you get a, your first proper dinner. And to be fair, I don't know it, what it was. In like four or five days. Yeah, but I was, I was fucking ravenous, man. Like I was ready to eat. Um, and to be fair, there probably was like, what I would, if I think back now and be really critical, this is where like it started to slowly unravel for me because I was like, 
that meal's coming, that meal's coming, that meal's coming. But it, what it is, I think on the hills phase, is like you run into an instructor, they treat you like shit, then you're off on your own again. Mm-hmm. This, you're under someone else's control. You just do whatever the fuck they say for 24 hours. And it's just, you're already fucked. You're already licked out. Um, and it's just, yeah, it sucks. And then I was hanging out for this dinner and then we got there and it wasn't the full meal. It was, just, it was another soup. That's what happens when expectations don't get met. Bro, I was, <laughs> and I was, I had the soup and I was like, nah, fucking the soup will be enough. I had the soup and I was still so fucking hungry. I couldn't believe how hungry I was still. And then we started again. I was like, fuck it. Just got to get through this. And then on the other side of this, we must get that meal. Um, but during the day, I actually think I did a really good job of being emotionless, like mm-hmm. zero emotion. Um, and so the minute we stepped out the gate, they change over at night. And the goal on the other half is at night, essentially the cunts come on and they just treat everyone like pieces of shit. And so as soon as we got out the gate, I hadn't done anything different than the morning. And this dude just comes up to me and he's like, oi, fuckhead, Jerry above your head. And I was like, what the fuck? And then so next minute, we're now like, you've got no energy as it is. I'm now carrying this Jerry above my head and no one else's. And then they go up to this other guy. And to be fair, he was doing really well as well. And they went up to him, oi, fuckhead, Jerry above your head. And then they let him, this went on for like an hour, felt like an hour or so. And... This is this is where like my fucking my uh, my weakness is definitely a bit of temper and back then especially more so is a bit of ego right and so this other guy put his jerry can got to put his jerry can down and then he said cool you can put your jerry can down don't let it touch the ground so I put it down in my boots was uh, unsling I was tidying my weapon back up so I had it slung and then the jerry can fell on the ground and then straight away he was like oh you fuck your jerry can above your head. What I had forgot and knew before selection was like, you didn't actually have to do in the jerry cans. You didn't actually have to do everything they asked you to do if you mm-hmm. physically can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people even go as far as just fucking just pull the wall, like pretend you can't do it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some guys do that, but I forgot that. And I was like, I can't lift this jerry can above my head. And then it just turned from I can't to just like this dude and this DS guy. And I just wanted to fucking, I just wanted to fucking go. Like I was just like, now scrap this guy. Um, I think it actually does go back to some of my earlier career where like uh, in battalion, you probably would have um, experienced it. But I definitely feel, you know, like it's quite an interesting topic, this one. But like, I definitely feel like as a white guy in battalion, like the moldy NCOs would give you quite a bit of shit. And I definitely believe it was just because you were white. Um, and this guy, again, he was, he was a, he was a moldy fella and he was giving me shit. And so for me, it was almost just like, fuck not this shit again. Yeah. And so like, I literally was just like barely even thought about it. There was no like long delaying process. It was literally just like that. Jerry can like threw it in his direction. And I was like, I'm fucking done. And there was like, oh, yeah. Dude. And, and then, so but at this point though, I'd already, I did think I've definitely made the commando gate. So I'd made the commando gate and I knew I should potentially get offered to go uh, in the commando training pipeline. And then I'd actually, no, I lied. I did have a moment where I did think like, okay, I've made the commando gate. Maybe it's a good way to get a look into the unit. Right, right, like that convincing cycle, you know, mm-hmm. where your goal is here and you, you somehow convince yourself now it's down here. Mm-hmm. Um, Dude, like people do this in life. They have dreams, mm-hmm. life gets hard and they, they, they lower their that they lower their entry point of what it is, but some people do it way down because they're not, because they're not resilient enough. And so it's like on this scale of, you know, this is the dream, right? And you know, that saying aim, aim for the moon, even if you'll miss your land in the stars. Right. Yeah. And you did dude. you fucking landed in the stars and you're growing even more now in a, in a totally new empowering direction, which we'll talk about soon. But a lot of people just do not even have the resilience to get to the stars. And yeah, so yeah. it's like that, that ability to, to, to go as far as you went in, in, you know, in selection in, in business is it's a trait that will serve you and your family for the rest of your life. That the, the, to be honest, that failure serves me more than anything. 
Um, Cause I kind of got to the crossroads, right? Where it was like, is this warfighter a thing or do I go do selection again? Because after spending, was it, must've got to about five years in the unit. I got to the point where it's like, I, I was again, where I had my initial belief of like, I can make commando gate. My belief of, of passing selection, I was like, I know if I go do selection again, I'm going the whole fucking way. I just need to go and do it again. Yeah. Uh, and so I got to the point where it was like, so you spent five units with the with the commando unit, counter terrorist unit. We're not going to dive into that today for reasons, but you you spent yeah. five years there. Uh, no, it was a bit longer than about six, six or seven years. Yeah, I bloody forget. About yeah. six or seven years, but it was about the five year mark where I started building warfighter, and mm -hmm. so it was like that fork in the road of like, do I go off and do selection, mm -hmm. or do I start down this other path? And even throughout my career, even because we do quite a mix stuff between you know SAS and commando guys, and there is that you know, that commando SAS relationship where it's like, we went further type thing. Mm -hmm. That served me well because there are times where, you know, maybe you don't feel like going the extra mile, but just to prove to these guys that you are as good as they are, you go that extra mile. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and, I, and it happened quite a few times in my career. And so that failed. And even now, like in the beginning, like there are, there are guys in the unit, uh, as you're always going to get, when it comes to soft SF stuff, you know, even Jocko Willink had it when he started his stuff. You're always going to get haters or people who aren't fucking on board with mm -hmm. what you're doing for, for whatever reason that they don't fucking doesn't sit with them. Mm -hmm. But you know, there were guys um, who who weren't fully on board with it. And mm -hmm. so you know, when I get to those moments where it's really hard, and I know mm -hmm. that these dudes want me to fail, mm -hmm. like that, that old failure, it's still one of those things that pushes me forward from behind. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm never going to, because the, the feeling on the other side of that, we're like, yes, I made it to commandos. I got my interview and got offered um, the commando pipeline. And there were, there were dudes who fucking, who got as far as I, or almost as far as I did in the jerrys. They might have done like eight hours on the jerry cans. That's still past the commando gate. They got told, no, come again. Like, you didn't show what we were looking for. Yep. So I, I did feel really fortunate that I did get offered the commando pipeline, but I hit rock bottom when I came back from that. Like so let's like a loser. What I want to do, if it's okay with you, is mm. transition to warfighter. Let's do it. Because, okay, so you felt like a loser. <laughs> We've all seen that at times. We've all failed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I failed assessment. I've, I felt the pain. Mm. Um, but it sent you on a different pathway. So warfighter, can you just give everyone, like, what is warfighter? And where, what was it, where was it spawned from? Yeah, cool. Um, obviously given time I'll try and make it a little short essentially like the real down and dirty of like what is Warfighter like Warfighter in its bracket is a military fitness and lifestyle brand mm -hmm. um, and that's where it fits like in the military fitness niche um, but as it's always been my plan it's kind of just what I wanted it to be was all of the positive um, whether it's culture whether it's mindset whether it's fitness whether it's training whether it's goal setting whether it's high performance whether it's just wanting to fucking be the best that you can be Mm -hmm. Like all those good positive things I took from my career, being in a soft unit where you are with alpha, alphas and these guys who are just, you're always climbing to be the best that you can be. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of what Warfighter was built around was like, so we've got training and we've got apparel and all those things tie in to create this culture of all the good positive things that I took from my military career. Mm -hmm. and, and what really drove it was, well, there's, there, was a, there was a few things. It was kind of, you know, one of the things was the fact is I served since 17 years old mm -hmm. and there's going to be a point in time. Like I had my daughter, um, I've now got a son as well. And when am I going to transition and be a dad? And when I do make that transition to be a dad, like what am I going to do for a career? Um, like, like you, man, like, as you probably know that feeling, like oh, I just can't go do a normal job. Like, I, you know, we need those people. Society needs those people. Community needs those people. I can't do that. I need mission. I need purpose. And I need, I need to create impact. You know, like even in the army, like going to Afghanistan, like we did, we did good work there with humanitarian aid work there. We're impacting lives. Um, and, the, and, and so I just, I thought, man, I want to do something. But again, it's chasing that passion, right? So essentially what happened was I was away on a trip with, uh, over to UKSF and I caught up with a mate who I used to be in the infantry with. Um, and we shot across to, to Paris for the weekend. I know it sounds terrible. Um, and we, we were sitting in Paris in this garden and we were talking about online training, but just like normal Joe blogs, online, tra online training. Um, and we were talking about some of the guys who are really successful. Um, they're taking home a lot of money, but 
if you dig in to the reviews of their training, um, it's not pretty. Yeah, and right. came, we came down, we came down to some of them. Um, like they just actually don't give a fuck about the end user. It's about the money. It's not about the impact or the changing of the lives. Um, and for some of them, it shows through. Like if you look on the Instagram, it's like to be a little bit judgmental. It's fucking narcissistic. Um, it's all about them. It's not actually about the end user. And so mm -hmm. we had this conversation and I got to the end point, the end of the conversation closed where it's kind of cool how like conversation closed with like, imagine if you gave a fuck like, what you could do, like the impact that you could have if you actually gave a fuck about people. Um, and then once I came home, I had another trip off to the States, kind of shelved the idea, um, came home, did my junior NCOs course. Um, day one, we no week one, we had to run our RFL again. Um, and 40% of these junior leaders, soon to be leaders of people, failed a required fitness <laughs> level that a civilian has to achieve to get into the army. I just couldn't believe it. And that's when I was like, something needs to be done. There needs to be a culture shift. Um, I've said it in another podcast. It was kind of the idea of like making fitness great again or like warrior fitness great again because we do whenever we join the army like i know i did i joined to to leave a chaotic childhood chaotic life and all these things that i'd experienced as a child to leave to something that gave me purpose and focus and drive and adventure and all these things mm -hmm. and so i was like when we join the army we join to be better but somewhere along the way it becomes licensee cool for yeah for quite a lot of people to be a sack to just get on the piss in the barracks and whatnot and so i was like something needs to happen like there needs to be a fucking culture shift and that's kind of started building up like Warfighter and where it's going today. Mm -hmm. But now it's kind of expanding out a little bit and it's just because we're reaching more people, people who aren't in the military. They may be firefighters, they may be police, or they may just be a civilian who have an affinity to the military mindset and way of living. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just before we, before we wrap this up, Fitzy, what, um, what's been the hardest part of business? And so mm. I got a few questions for you. What's been the hardest part of business and what's got you beyond that? Because mm. there are a lot of people that leave the military and don't do well. You've left yes. the military, same as myself, gone into entrepreneurship and you're doing well. What's, what's, what's different? What's different in people like us that what yeah. do you feel is different? I think for most of us and you no doubt have experienced this right as we live this complete way of life we become indoctrinated in this way of life and we have a specific set of skills but we have no business skills we don't know what the next fucking move is to make so you don't know what you don't know but i think for most people that's it it's just too hard where i went on the opposite end of the scale where like i had this idea i knew that i wanted to do it and i just got obsessed man like i was trawling through you know the likes of like gary vaynerchuk um, Grant Cardone, listening to these guys, reading reading these books, um, and then speaking to it to a friend who was in business, and like just he would just tell me, oh, what? How do you run a website? Oh, this thing called Shopify. Google Shopify. Read about Shopify. Watch something about Shopify. Um, so I think the hardest part. Um, I, I, I've, I have really enjoyed the journey, but the, the, I think the hardest. Oh, the fuck! There's, there's actually quite. There's been many challenges. It's almost like knowing what to do is kind of hard. You're like strategy. Yeah, like what's the strategy? What the fuck? You know, like because people are like, oh, cool, you made a brand. I want to make, I want to make t-shirts too. But it's like you're not making t-shirts. You're building a brand. You're building culture. You're building a community. You're serving that community. You're creating value. Um, and so that's where, realistically, I started taking a lot of tools that I learned from the army. Um, and just applying it, you know, like if you get given a mission um, and then it's up to you and your team to put together this whole package to go and achieve this mission, you know, it's essentially like goal setting. Like yep. This is the goal, the mission, the objective, like let's plan this fucker out. And we know no plan survives H hour. So we'll have a few contingencies and then we know we're just going to have to adapt on the fly. So fuck it. Um, and so the, that's kind of, yeah, how, how, how we tackled that one. But I think, yeah, probably, probably what, it's, it's really hard. Like I could talk about a few challenges and whatnot, but what makes people like us a little different? Um, I think it is probably we are genuinely passionate about what we do. So some people might want to come out and they just go into something to make money. Um, I've had a friend do that and he's talking about that now. He went into the whole mining thing and he went after it, man. 
Like he went after the mining lifestyle, got all the qualifications, the ticket, he got the job, he got the high paying job. And he was fucking five, five, six years later, he's fucking depressed. No doubt. And now he's home and he's rekindling with like his real passions. And now he's building a business around his real passion. So Good on I think what's just different is we follow our actual passion. Um, and then the other thing too is like, some people might call it like commitment or focus or motivation, but I just call it fucking obsession. Like I am literally obsessed with what, with what I'm doing and what I want to do uh, with Warfighter. So mm. yeah, I think, yeah, obsession and, and genuine passion. Sweet dude. So I'm going to ask you now, you do have kids. You said before you've got a son mm. and a daughter and I ask everyone this at the end of the podcast, like what are three to five bits of wisdom that if you were to die, you know, tonight, tomorrow, you would, mm. you would have to, or you would really want your kids to know to be true. So it's like, this yeah. is wisdom. Take this. It will serve you well. What would those three to five be? Yeah, actually. So the first one would definitely be like, just as I said, like follow your passions. Um, happiness over money for sure I just know too many people have earned too much money and they're fucking miserable um, the third one would be along the lines of it's a, it's a, a value that I've, I've made for Warfighter but it's like negativity is the enemy it's just be like essentially brainwash yourself with positivity because especially out in today's day and age you know in social media it's almost like being negative is cool it's like it, it, it's, it's hip you know like to throw out all these negative memes like constantly so like yeah my thing would be like negativity is the enemy like negativity isn't cool um four would be i guess fucking as you know cliche as it sounds it just coverings to mind straight away is like um don't listen to the naysayers um i just know throughout my life throughout my career i have just constantly been told what i won't do you will never achieve that you won't do that i remember a good friend of mine he's still a good friend of mine when i told him about, about warfighter the first thing he said to me was, it doesn't matter if it, if it fails. I was like, cheers for the vote of confidence. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> so you're like, fuck the naysayers, man. Um, I'd definitely tell my kids that. And then oh, something else I would tell them. Um, I probably along the lines of select, select your friends wisely, I reckon. I reckon mm -hmm. too often we allow people into our lives who are poisonous to the well. And as we know, it only takes one drop of It only takes, you know, one to poison the well and then one drop of poison to poison the entire well. Um, and so I think, you know, if I look back in time, even as a kid, as a teenager, and even throughout my career, you know, sometimes I've let some really negative people into my life um, and they can fucking, they can poison you and bring you down. Um, and I've definitely experienced that. So yeah, be definitely like be be very careful who you let to your life. How how do you unpoison the well? How do you how do you tell someone to get out? What how, what's your framework for getting rid of someone? My thing is um, in, in sixty seconds. My thing is as simple as that. Is like identify and cut it out like the cancer it is. Like yeah. for me, it's like it is like cancer. Literally, once I get to the point of identification, like this person is poison, I will cut them away. And my emotional ties to that person reduces to zero real quick. Yeah, see, dude. I'm so like, like zero you. hero. I'm yeah. like you, but a lot of people are like, but, but, but. And I'm like, I don't understand. Cut, gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it is. Yeah, so people may think it's ruthless, but no. It's on. not. It really isn't. It, it, is, it is for your best interest and for their best interest too. Yeah, 100%. Dude, so Fitzy, you're an absolute legend. I know we were going to talk about more. We just don't have time. We might have to do a part two at some stage. Um, <laughs> man, where can people find out more about Warfighter and you if, if you want, you know, if you want to be yeah. recognized? Um, yeah, tell us like social media. Where, yeah. where can people get hold of you? So the best thing on social media uh, for Warfighter is at Warfighter Athletic. Uh, the second one... One it, word, Warfighter Athletic? Uh, so, underscore athletic. Warfighter underscore athletic? Yep. And then the second one would be my personal page, which is at FitzActual. Fitz, F-I-T-Z Z. underscore... No underscore. No underscore. Just, just actual. A-E-C-T-U-A-L. And Fitz that's just... Actual. Yeah. There's been a couple of Fitzies, so... Is one. There's only one. <laughs> <laughs> the actual one. Yeah. Uh, and it, then the, web, the website, warfighterathletic.com. Beautiful, dude. Is there anything you want to add before we wrap this up? 
now I'll just say to anybody listening, I, I do say uh, if they're involved with you, then uh, epic move. Because uh, if it's one thing that I've done, and I know you have done it, is I've spent thousands since starting more fight athletic. Any profit that came in went back into the business or into myself. So if they're working with you, dealing with you, looking to work with you, investing in yourself is always a fucking epic way to go. And then, yeah, finishing on, do not limit your own abilities and beliefs. Like, you, you can do shit that everyone else doesn't think you can do, and even you probably think you can't do. But if you build the right habits and you fucking want to get after it, then you, then you can do some pretty amazing shit this life. Dude, thank you so much. This podcast has been amazing for all the listeners. If you've enjoyed it, please let us know. Ask any questions that you have. Fitzy, once again, thank you, dude. And um, I'll catch you soon. Cheers.